0: Hello everyone and welcome to this latest edition of 101 George Street, the podcast from Mowbray, Scotland's National Centre for Children's Literature and Storytelling. My name is John Malloy and I ask you to join me as I explore the worlds of creative learning, children's literature and storytelling. My guest today is none other than Jen Steptoe, the mastermind behind the Jensery YouTube channel. Gensery aims to be a fun and engaging online resource that helps families to explore storytelling and music through sensory activities. As well as running Gensury, Jen is also a working educational practitioner with a background in music, drama, SEND and early years learning. Jen, what is your favourite children's story and why?
1: This is such a hard one and uh, you know what the thing for me about about stories and children's stories particularly is that they are so intertwined with your own memory of them um, so I was I was lucky that I was read to a lot as a child and um, that's one of the reasons why I just sort of love story and I love kind of creating things um, you sort of get lost in a world don't you in a story it's kind of where, where it leads you it just naturally takes you in that direction really so um, I guess from a practitioner's perspective um, I'm going to be bit cliched and sort of say bear hunt um because it just it just lulls you in it's got so so many things that you can pick up on as a practitioner um and put in your environment put in your story it just it just lends itself to that um so yeah I love that I've done a really really lovely multi-sensory sort of week um it was a really fabulous actually um I did it at my workplace and it it was brilliant we did the very hungry caterpillar. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd start each morning with the multisensory story, we'd do lots of music there was I did puppetry it was it was brilliant it was just such such a lovely experience but then we kind of learned how to put it out in the environment, how we can um, essentially have like a thematic approach um, to to learning to that's one of the reasons why Gentry is thematic actually but having a, um, a theme that you can kind of pick up on and that's the great thing about stories it gives you inspiration as a practitioner it gives you a spark of interest um and sometimes it's hard to just pick things out of thin air um and just kind of go yeah and I'll do that this week and I'll do that the following week because actually for our learners it's really important to have that repetition so um Certainly as a practitioner, those stories that have a really sort of nice repetitive lilt to them um, tend to kind of pull me in. Um, and I look for things that I can just sort of hook in on um, in terms of planning, in terms of providing those sensory resources that really bulk out the story. Mm. Um, but yeah, so so from a practitioner perspective, that's definitely kind of what I look for. I look for things that, I mean. Bear Hunt's a brilliant example. You just go through and you go, yep, 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 yep. There's loads of things that I can just pick up on that. Let's, let's get snow. Let's get swishy, swishy grass. Let's, you know, it's just one of those ones. Mm. Um, as, alongside that, for me, however, I mean, I'm a massive, like, mog fan. Um, I just love the writing. love the imagery. Um, I'm a huge, like, Burglar Bill fan and, like, Tigery Came to Tea and all the classics. Love all of those. Um, I just think they're brilliant. Um, but, and I, I was kind of reflecting on why I think they're brilliant. Um, and obviously the writing is brilliant. The imagery is brilliant mm. on its own. But I think, to be honest, it's the familiarity of them and the closeness and the kind of recall that I have of sort of, sort of sitting with both my parents and then reading it to me. Um, and I think when things are repeated like that, you get a sense of familiarity and you get a sense of comfort from that. Um, and I think it's important to bring that to children and learners. It's important to kind of give them that experience of repetition, because if you think about it from a wellbeing perspective, it's, there's real comfort in that. Like we do things repetitively ourselves. We like that, that regularity, that routine, that is a grounding thing. So if we can repeat experiences to kind of build up those anticipatory responses, particularly if we're lear- working with learners that have got special needs it brings a real kind of calm to them. It brings that lovely repetitive nature to them. So they go, actually, I know what to expect from however long this next kind of story is going to last for, Mm. but I know what's coming. Um, And actually, when you're living in a world where lots of things are done to you, um, particularly if you've got a physical impairment, for example, um, and and actually, to be honest, if you're on the autistic spectrum as well, you you might have a lot of things that are done to you all Mm. the time um from from you know and it's not it's not a kind of negative thing you know we want to help our learners all the time Mm. but I think we can we can step in too quickly sometimes whereas actually giving them that experience of this is what's going to happen it's going to be fun you're going to like it this is going to be all about you all about your responses all about fun Mm. that's a really important thing in improving well-being in our learners so actually bringing that, bringing that kind of angle that actually, why do, why do I like those stories from, from childhood? What is it that I can learn from that? It's actually that it's, it's that, I had a lovely experience with that and I want to share that with learners in a repetitive predictable way um so yeah that's a kind of long-winded answer to your question no
0: it's it's Um, it's actually quite interesting I like the idea that repetition has always been a really major element and theme in children's literature and there's I suppose there's something to be said about the musicality of the words and Mm -hmm. and the rhythm of the words because as well as engaging a young person any young person with the words themselves and the images that imagery that the words evoke you're also tying in to humans being human beings love of rhythm and love of pretty as you say being able to predict where this is going and there's a safety yeah. security and there's a sense of um well-being related with that with that idea of i know i kind of know where the story is going I know where the sentence is going, if not in terms of the actual story itself, but in terms of the rhythm.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And actually, those those lovely moments, like like you know, the moments you get in Gruffalo and things, there's that. um, It's new, but the rhythm's similar. Mm. So actually, from a cognition perspective, even if your your child or learner doesn't necessarily understand that, say, the character has changed, they understand that actually there's that repetitive refrain at the end. There's that there's that familiar rhythmic end to each kind of page mm. um, and that alone sometimes you can get beautiful responses from from children and learners just because they're expecting that mm. um, and there's that, that lovely relief in that isn't there there's that lovely kind of Oh, it's that rhythm again. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a musician, so I absolutely I, I love I love rhythm. Anyway, I think rhythm's a real natural regulator. Mm. I think it just it just is, um, and certainly those those stories that have those really rhythmic lilts to them, I I think are naturally regulatory. They they just they bring about that just just from how how they are. So without even bringing in any of the multisensory stuff, you've got a really, really good nucleus there to kind of build on, haven't you? So, yeah, I completely agree with
0: that. And with regards to multisensory storytelling, a lot of people, we've had multisensory storytellers on uh, 101 George Street before, and each one have got a a slightly different opinion of what is multisensory storytelling and the purpose behind multisensory storytelling. And I'll be quite interested, as a multisensory storyteller yourself and as a practitioner, educational practitioner, I'd be interested to know what how you see multisensory storytelling. What is it? Oh, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: it, 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 yeah, I mean, it's part of the bread and butter of my practice. Um, it's certainly something that I do daily, um, and and yeah, it, I guess it is individual. It is a kind of. Um, something that kind of intertwines with your pedagogy, I guess. Mm. Um, that's one of the reasons why why I'm called gensary, because I couldn't think of a word to really describe how I do what I do. So I thought I'll just make one up. Um and luckily I'm called Jen, which just kind of worked quite well Mm, (laughs) um, with fusing it together. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess for me it's about the aim for me is is pushing that multi-sensory integration. That's what that's what you're looking for at the end of the day. You're looking for um, using things that kind of get those those sensory channels working so Mm -hmm. whether they're working on an individual or a kind of combined basis what you're looking for ultimately is that sensory integration of all of them together Mm -hmm. to create one sensory experience because obviously we're experiencing things through our central nervous system from loads of different senses individually but what we want is that kind of big, lovely experience that, that sort of stands alone as its own thing. Um, so for me, I think it's about engaging all of the different senses at some point. I think when we say multisensory, sometimes people go for bombardment mm. um, and Multisensory doesn't necessarily mean using all five, seven senses all at the same time. Um, and I do say this to practitioners quite a lot. It's about giving opportunities for that multi-channeled approach, because that is known obviously to create more memory, to give them a more holistic experience, mm. sure. Um, but it's about using it mindfully um, and knowing your learners. And that's not necessarily just learners with special needs, that, that's, that's neurotypical children as well. Mm. Um, you know, you, you can tell when a learner is overloaded because none of the information is going in. Mm. Um, so for me, it's about kind of looking at your story and looking what lends itself to what particular scent. So, for example, if we took Bear Hunt, I would be like, right, okay, so this, the snowstorm section, for example, uh, I think that's going to be a really, really good opportunity for um, tactile stuff and feeling So I'm not going to completely... And I might put a sound on in the background of wind and stuff. But at that moment, I'm not going to talk. Because at that moment in the story, the wind where, you know, I mean, I've I've used like a big white tarpaulin before, for example. um, You know, lifting it up, creating big, big like wind kind of stuff. That is a really big, big sensory experience. You're getting the rustle of the tarpaulin. You're getting the feel of the wind. If I start talking over the top of that... That becomes too much of an auditory and, and it, it, it takes away from the beauty that you've got of that multisensory experience. Mm. Um, so, multisensory, yes, but actually, sometimes just challenging what that means from section to section of your story. I also think smell is a really, really important one and sometimes mm. one that gets overlooked. Um, But smell is directly part of your memory. It's the part of your brain connected to your memory. So your olfactory sense is a really, really important one for remembering a story. So a lot of my stories have a smell cue just at the beginning um, for my learners, um, just to kind of go, right, we're going to like, I use tea for the buffalo, for example. You know, and it was just just a real kind of we're going to use this each time. We're going to smell that. And actually, then that is a precursor to what we're going to do next. Mm. Um, and you get those lovely little wry smiles of children when they start to know um, what's coming next. And that's mm-hmm. a really important thing.
0: There's that repetition again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. And, that, and that, that's so important. Um, I think sometimes it's nice to have um, a little bit of sort of underlying track in the background um something that isn't going to interfere too much with what you're saying and the rhythm of the story but I think that could sometimes um evoke a certain mood Mm. Um, my background's music and drama so a lot of what I what I did on my degree and stuff was all about lighting the importance of lighting the importance of focus Mm. so from a visual perspective having that that light in there I think can really help um, I mean, we all do it, don't we? You know, you sit in a theatre. Um, back in the days when we could sit in a theatre, we will again. <laughs> um, but when, you know, when the lights go down at the beginning of a play, it automatically stills you. It makes mm. you focus on what is in front of you. Um, and again, I think that's something that's, that's overlooked a little bit in stories. You know, when you've got glare and lots of kind of different um, lights coming in from windows and stuff, it, it can really detract from what you're trying to do um, and you can create real awe and wonder through visual and through lights. So yeah, that would be my kind of three top ones really is to not, to not overload your learners, um, you know, go through your story and just kind of pick out what sense you're going to really, really, really focus in on. Um, chances are they're going to be dual sensed anyway, because, mm. um, auditory stuff tends to kind of work with tactile, but that's what I tend to do. I tend to just go through and segmenting and go, I'm going to do that at that point, that at that point and that at that point. Um, creating a real kind of air of awe and wonder um, by darkening your space, by creating light, by by really kind of getting them to focus in on what you're doing. Um, and, yeah, that olfactory sense, which I just think is really, really overlooked. Um, so, yeah, that would be my kind of three three nutshell things for, for sensory storytelling personally.
0: So in many ways, a multisensory storyteller, as well as being a storyteller and um, conveying uh, the message of that particular story, you're also a director, and uh, because you're having to mm. think of you're having to think of, well, it's an immersive theatrical experience if you think about it, because you're having to think about every element of that experience for that person. And it suddenly becomes, not only is it, is, is it an immersive experience for the person experiencing that story, but also for the storyteller. So the the the, the line between the audience and the performer, that kind of becomes blurred.
1: hundred percent Yeah. Um I mean, there's a lovely approach that we use in, in special needs called intensive interaction. Mm. Um, and it's, it's about, it's about that, you know, it's about that, that mimicking of what your learner's doing. So I think if you've got flexibility as a practitioner to slow things down when you need to, that is a really, really important thing to do. Um, so much of education these days is about box ticking. And so much of it is about, oh, it's 10 o'clock. We've got to move on now. Or it's actually the beauty in sensory stories is that you can just keep going. And actually, if they're loving a particular section, you can just keep going with that and roll with that. Um, and, and, and that is that is the real beauty of it. And I think when you're working with children that have processing difficulties or you're working with children who might just take a little bit longer to respond to your stimuli. The pace at which you go through that story is integral. You, you have to slow it down. Um, so many times I say to people, it's about feeling comfortable in the wait. It's about feeling comfortable in that moment where you've presented part of your multisensory story. You've, revent- you've presented part of that stimulus to them. And then there's a big gap between when you've presented it to them and when they've responded to it. Um, and it's not necessarily about the learner, really. It's about mm. you as a practitioner or a parent. It's about you feeling happy just watching and just waiting. Um,
0: I'm interested. This is a really good point because I'm speaking as uh, someone who used to be a drama teacher myself. Uh, oh, how how do you square that circle? As uh, obviously you're an educational practitioner as well as a multi-century storyteller, how do you square mm. that, that issue of we're taught that we need to fill gaps and spaces and silences. We always need to be doing things. We always need to, learning needs to take place at all times. So you're trained as a teacher in in this approach of always doing something, always spinning those plates. However, as a multi yeah. storytelling practitioner, pace and silence, and uh, moments of reflection, and allowing the audience member slash person who's experiencing the story to to cognitively process what's happening. That's really important. How can you do that? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and, it, and it, it's not without its challenge, to be honest. Because mm. you, you're, I think, to a certain extent, you're fighting against a, a bit of a system um, there. But I think what what it comes down to is how well you can justify that and what that actually looks like because I think there's a difference between just kind of sitting there and just waiting mm. and there's a there's that active listening there's that active observational stuff so you know if you're you're sitting there poised with you know I don't know a smell cue or you know a little really magical little bowl of water that you've, you're you pouring water into and then you stop mm. and but your gaze is just fixed on that learner and you're gazing, you're just watching it. And then you kind of like, you know, you go to do it again and you build it up and build it up, build it up and get that suspense going. That is still so much a part of that learning experience. And and you are showing as a practitioner that you are so engaged in that. And I think that's what it comes down to. It comes to that mindful observation, that active observation, because if you look like you're waiting to kind of go on to the next thing, then you can't really justify that as a practitioner. You're you you need to kind of, um, I guess I guess plug it yourself and actually really really realise that that is a really important thing. Um, and it, and I get yeah, I think it just comes down to that eye contact and that really 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 obvious engagement um, and justifying that to to SLT and people that come in. Um, I mean, I have been known um, in many an observation to narrate what I'm doing (laughs) just to sort of justify it a little bit. So. Um, you know, and you can do that thing where you go. I'm just going to wait to see if he responds to this because I think he will.
0: If you're being observed by a maths teacher or someone with a maths background, because I've I've, yeah. I've done this, I've actually narrated my lesson when I was being observed, saying, "This yeah, is the sure. reason why I'm doing it. this." Is the you know, this is why I'm doing <laughs> yeah. this.
1: Yeah. If
0: you're if you're not got um, a background in in creativity, whatever that may be, the creative subjects and you're doing an activity which is really rooted in creativity um, which might not have an obvious purpose or point to it it's always important to kind of say this is the theory behind it this is this is the reasoning behind it this is why i'm doing most definitely what made you create gentry
1: it was a mixture of two things really it was a it was a two-pronged thing so it's something i've wanted to do for a long long time um I kind of felt that wanting to share my pedagogy was was in me um, as something to do. But as full-time teaching um, does, it does just sort of take up all of your time. So I never really got around to it. Um, so lockdown gave me that opportunity to do it, but it was, I guess, pushed forward. And the real motivation for it was the realisation, I guess, that so many parents were a bit out on a limb here. Mm. Um, I was acutely aware of just the sensation that that they almost had the rug pulled out from under their feet really um I mean certainly at the place that I work it's not just about education it's about community it's about physiotherapy it's about Mm. conductive education it's about speech and language it's about pediatric appointments you know suddenly that hub had just gone Mm. um and, and and at the beginning I guess it didn't really feel like anybody knew how long it was going to go on for um, and I think that was quite a daunting thing for parents so um, I just wanted to help really I think I think so many uh, teachers particularly felt so at a loss um, because there's only so much you can do via a screen there's only so much you can provide um, and obviously you know you're there for your parents and you know you, you're doing as much as you possibly can but I just wanted to do something that I guess I guess would affect a wider community than just my school so you know it 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 is to do with my school and it is to do with the school practice but it's not and it it is a very separate entity to to my to my role as a class teacher um so yeah that was the motivation for it really just just a real awareness of you know parents just sort of sat at home thinking what am I going to do for Mm. however long what actually am I going to do? And I think it's easy. You know, the market is saturated in ideas out there. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's really easy as a parent to get lost in that Pinterest wormhole or that, that Instagram wormhole where you just scroll through and go, oh, my God, there's so many pretty things that I don't know how to do. I don't know what to do. I, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. Mm. Um, and what happens is you go, you get kind of lulled into that and you go, oh, I'll set that up. And then you set it up and your child or learner accesses it for a minute and you go, oh, I don't really know what to do now. Mm. So that that was one of the main motivators for Gentry being a YouTube channel rather than an Instagram mm. thing. I, I really wanted to give myself to it. I wanted to explain how and the why. Um, and I, I realized that that is a bit more of an investment in time because, you know, the videos are usually about 10 minutes long. But I just sort of think actually if you can invest as a parent or a practitioner 10 minutes out of your day, well, mm. once a week at the minute, 10, 10 minutes to just better yourself as a as a as a parent, as a practitioner, to just learn a little bit more about how to really, really effectively support your child. Um, as that's a really important thing. I, and I and I think certainly from the feedback that I've got about it, that is that is the real motivator for gentry. The fact that I do explain things, I do talk things through, I do sort of say, this is actually what you're looking for. This is how to do it. Um, Because there's not enough of that out there. I think, like I say, you you can just get caught up in that Instagram post that just kind of goes, oh, that looks pretty, whereas actually you need the why and you need the how. Um, And and I I thought as well, there was just a real gap in the market for um, how to facilitate children with with learning difficulties and mm. with with special needs there's a real real gap out there there's a lot of early years out there um, and again I'm an early years practitioner early years teacher that's what I was trained in um, and obviously a lot of that comes into my practice um, because it's developmentally appropriate but yeah it, it there just wasn't anything out there that I felt really really at that time um, gave parents and practitioners what they needed to support their learners at home
0: I suppose also, again, I've spoken to a lot of creatives at the moment about how they reacted to the first initial lockdown and obviously it was a huge thing, particularly if you have a creative yeah. background, um, the rug was pulled from under your feet. What was I found quite heartwarming was that people kind of raised their game and they started looking at ways of being able to express and interpret themselves for themselves what was happening to them. But because they're creative, they did that in a creative way. You're actually quite interesting because you've got an education background as well as a creative background. So what you were able mm. to do is interpret this big situation the lockdown, the COVID crisis, and you were able to go, right, I, I see a need here. There's a lot of parents who are suddenly having to homeschool. They don't really know. Yeah. They don't know the pedagogy. They don't know the theory that that we learn. So what are they going to do? So you were able to creatively approach the, the, the work, as it were, and be able to say, look, here's the reasoning behind the resource. Here's the ideas. This is, this is why we're doing it. There you go. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you've had feedback from parents, but I imagine quite a lot of parents have found it a godsend.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and then I do, I do encourage that so much because you know it's funny when you start a YouTube channel up. Um, as a, you're used to performing as a as a teacher. I've always said teaching is is performing. It, it is, um, and even more so if you're a creative person or you're, you're teaching creative subjects, you, you are performing day in day out. Um, it's a very different thing going from sitting in front of a class of children um, to sitting in front of a camera because you are not getting that direct feedback. And I was I was acutely aware of that. You know, the first few videos that I did, um, I had to keep in mind the, the learners and the children that were out there probably learning from it, um, and the parents that were watching it. I had to keep them in mind and, and vi- literally kind of visualise them in my head because it, it's different. It is different doing it to a camera. Um, so, yeah, that was that was quite a kind of shift. Um, but but certainly I do encourage that feedback all the time. I say, you know, let me know, let me know, let me know. And I've had the most beautiful things sent to me, um, you know, parents sending me tearful videos, parents sending me, you know, lo- lovely messages, photographs, just beautiful, beautiful things um, of, of amazing bits and pieces that they're doing at home. Um, and I think from a well-being perspective from, from there, point of view it's really really helped them not get stuck into a kind of void um, and a spiral of all the days are the same it, it, it's brought them a bit of structure as well um so yeah it, it's just been amazing to be able to kind of bring both bring, bring well-being to learners and to parents as well at the same time. It's It's, it's been a privilege, really.
0: How does it make you feel? And, and I ask this because, um, and I should say this to the listeners at home, our uh, new, Mowbray's new Creative Learning and Engagement Officer for Accessibility is sitting in on the recording of this session. And <laughs> um, and she has used your resources fairly recently uh, to, to help individuals and people um, that she knows. Um, how does that make you feel that people are using your resources?
1: It's mind blowing to be honest. Yeah. It, it's just brilliant. It's just the best thing when it, when it kicked off. Um, I, I, d- I guess I didn't really know how many people would access it. I just thought I'll, I'll put myself out there and I'll put it out there and I'll see what happens. Um, and it has kind of really, really spiraled. Um, I've got people in New Zealand that are doing it. Mm. I've got people in Ohio that are doing it. And, and that's crazy. That is absolutely mind blowing. And, um, and, and, yeah, it's, it's just a real honour and a real privilege because you feel like you're a part of that home life at the minute. You feel like, you you know, you're a regular part of their day. Um, and I have always, always just been such an advocate for for learners with special needs. Um, they've always been at the heart of everything that I've done. And they continue to be with that I, You know, in terms of, of moving forward um, with it, it it's... It's never really about me. It's about mm. them. It always has been. They've, they've always been at the heart of everything that I do. Um, and yeah, I, I do. I just feel absolutely honoured to do it. Um, and yeah, it is mind blowing. It is absolutely mind blowing.
0: Where do you see gentry leading to?
1: I mean, I keep, I plug it with a lot of places. Um, I just want to get it out there, really. Mm. I just want to get it out to more people because I'm conscious that there still probably are quite a few People, well, clearly are a lot of people out there that I think would benefit. Um, so really, yeah, it, it that's the next step, really, um, finding lots of vehicles to promote it on. And not for me, really, just for them, because I just kind of think it's been a really odd year and it's certainly been a year of clarity. I don't necessarily see it as um a completely negative year. It certainly was the year that the gentry got born. So um, it, it, you know, it, it's fab from that perspective. Um, and I do think, as I say, it's given me opportunities that I wouldn't have anticipated otherwise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's certainly the next step, to just, just promote it on as many platforms as I possibly can, to just get that, that subscriber uh, level up um it's I mean it's funny with YouTube and stuff the more subscribers you get the more access you get to things and the Mm. more you can promote it so it's yeah really at the minute it's about getting it out there to more people um and then going forward I'd I'd actually love to do some face-to-face stuff um you know once the pandemic hopefully is out of the way Mm. um it'd be great to actually do face-to-face training and be able to kind of um yeah tour essentially and and collaborate with people you Mm. know there's some incredible people out there um that I'd love to work with so yeah Hopefully,
0: well, that will be the next
1: phase.
0: Jen, thank you so much for being on the show. What I will say is uh, we're big fans. And, oh, uh, thank uh, you so much. Please, please keep us um, updated in the work that you do. We'd love to continue promoting you. Did I say get you up at one time? I'm, I'm looking at Oh, I'd um, love to. I'm looking at yeah. our, our new creative learning and engagement officer for accessibility. So nodding, <laughs> nodding away in the, uh, the Zoom um, call. Jen, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been really, really interesting. We're running out of time um but yeah thank you
1: my absolute pleasure thanks so much guys
0: well that's all for today's episode folks massive thanks for jen for appearing on this show you can find jen and jensery on youtube all you need to do is just search jensery until next time stay safe and stay creative